Richard, it's a, it's a privilege for me to be here, and I would speak for our whole staff and say thank you for the ways that you pour into us and, and this whole community. Uh, we're grateful uh, to have you with us. So thank you for this opportunity, and thank you for your commitment to the next generation. Good evening, everyone. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. This is great, right? Uh, I don't know if you caught that last line of the kids' story. I don't, Don might show that up there. Well, yeah, we're going to make that joke in a minute. Uh, <laughs> this is just jokes. Then they sang their favorite song, and they, and they walked to their favorite place in Olive Garden. And so I, I thought uh, that we could just uh, call the band back out. I don't know what our favorite song might be. Uh, I thought we could make a quick reservation. And however many of us are here, we're going to double it uh, so that we can do this, uh, like Jesus and his folks did in the last uh, meal. You can imagine him taking the breadstick and breaking it, right? This is only going to get better. Uh, so I didn't grow up with a big family. It was uh, myself and my mom and dad and two older brothers. Uh, and we uh, had a host of kind of aunts and uncles and cousins around, but none of them that we were particularly close with. There were some difficult family dynamics there, as families uh, can, can often do. Uh, grandparents, both, both sets, had long since passed. And for the most part, I was fine with the five of us. We got along pretty well. There's three boys, so you know how that can go. Uh, but on Thanksgiving each year, we were invited to be a part of a much larger extended family. Uh, there was this family called the Howarths, and uh, it was a big family, a tree with a lot of branches. Uh, every year, there were 60 to 80 people uh, that would come and celebrate. These were kind of down-to-earth country folk rolling in on, like, trucks that were taller than me and... Uh, belt buckles and big hats and, and the, the hunting camo. Like, you, do you know the different kinds of camo? Like, there's, like, the military, like, the real stuff. And then there's, like, the fashion camo that I kind of like to wear. Uh, I'm not a soldier. I just like the pattern. And then there's, like, the Cabela's camo. Like, it's so that the elk can't actually see you. You would wear it in a blind or something. Joe Springer would know uh, all about it. It's Duck Dynasty stuff, right? These were those people. No one's house was big enough, uh, so we'd always rent out a church, uh, which meant there were no alcohol, which is, is a good thing at many of these difficult family gatherings. They'd show up eight at a time with uh, piling out of their cars, you know, with, uh, with casseroles and, and pies. Some of them are cool and some of them are kind of weird. Uh, and buckets of chicken, because like it's a church and there's people bringing food, so you got to have the bucket of chicken. Uh, and then they'd, they'd go around, they'd greet everybody in the room, right, hugging people. And I'm like, I don't know this person, but I hugged them. It's so, so good to see them. There were old men and young men with guitars and banjos singing a mix of uh, Johnny Cash and Gaither tunes. Uh, it was great. Uh, we weren't blood relatives at all, but you wouldn't know it by the way that we were received and the way that we were treated. We were there early helping set up. We were invited into this family. It's important for us. My grandfather passed away when my dad was a teenager. And so the patriarch of this other family, Milt Sr., he was one of the many father figures to my father. So we were sort of adopted in. Looking back, I'm grateful that their table was a big table. Our family's bigger now, and we don't often celebrate. 
uh, with that family or really haven't in the last 10 years or so. But Thanksgiving has me thinking about big tables and great meals and the many times I've been offered a seat. I want to call this message tonight Table Manners. Growing up in a house of three boys, I've heard about table manners, but they weren't necessarily practiced. Uh, my mom was lucky if like everybody had pants on, let alone <laughs> elbows off the table and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so are there table manners in your home, kids? You might, you might know some of these things. Uh, there's kind of rules at dinner time. Uh, say excuse me when you toot. That's a, that's a thing that we do. You ask to be excused before leaving the table. You don't reach across someone else for the butter. So table manners are these acceptable behaviors when sharing a meal. So I've come to learn. So as we come to this story that we just read tonight, there are three behaviors that we can learn from Jesus' last meal with his disciples. And these behaviors won't just help us thrive over the holiday weekend, but will enable us to be the presence of Christ in our daily lives. So the first behavior, set the table. The second behavior, have a seat. And the third behavior, give thanks. So we open up this text together. Join me in prayer. God, we're grateful tonight uh, for this evening of thanks. We're grateful tonight to the people on our right and on our left. We're grateful tonight for the people who will sit around uh, tables uh, tomorrow. We ask tonight that you would open wide our hearts and, and, and with that our lives uh, for your revelation, uh, that we would understand what it means to be people of hope in the world, uh, creating seats and making big tables uh, for your glory. We love you. Amen. So the first behavior we learn from Jesus is to set the table. Before we can eat a meal, it has to be prepared, it, it has to be uh, cooked, and before we can cook it, we need a place to eat it. And I, I don't know how your Thanksgiving preparations go. You, every family kind of has some things, right? It's how you cook the turkey, so you may enlist the help of the Butterball hotline, like you can call, and it's this many pounds, and is it frozen? Are you going to cook the stuffing inside of it? Are you going to wrap it in bacon? Are you going to put a duck inside of it, wrap it in bacon, and then deep fry it, and you're going to call it a turducken? Everybody has their own thing. Um, in my family, it's a given that my mom is going to host, uh, and it's also a given that I get to cut the turkey, because a few years ago, I was watching uh, the Today Show. It's kind of a guilty pleasure of mine. Uh, I like Ellen and all that stuff, right? Uh, and a celebrity chef, one of those attractive celebrity chefs, so you got like Giada or Jamie Oliver, or uh, who's the guy with the orange Crocs uh, with the red hair, Mario Batali, one of those guys, right? Uh, they're telling you how to perfectly carve a turkey. And so I applied myself to this craft, learned how to do it over a few years, and have since then believed that I'm sort of God's gift uh, to Thanksgiving. Uh, my point is, there's a bunch of stuff that has to happen before anyone takes a bite. In our story tonight, Jesus did two things by way of setting the table. First, he invited the host and second, he asked the guest to prepare the meal. In Mark 14, the disciples asked Jesus about sharing the Passover meal together. Uh, and it goes like this, Mark 14, chapter, or verses 12 to 16. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus asked 
Uh, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. And they prepared the Passover. This is classic Jesus, right? It's not simple. There's like a little game, like a little riddle. You gotta find find the guy with the water and then you gotta ask him. This is what Jesus does and it's important for us to take note of this. He didn't just invite folks to his house to cook a meal that he prepared in his kitchen. Uh, he, He didn't even... He sent his friends to go tell another guy, we're coming to your house and we're gonna eat a meal and cook a meal. And we're not even sure if this guy ate the meal. He wasn't in the 13. I think one of the Marys was there with the 12 disciples. Uh, But in doing this, Jesus invited another uh, into the story. He expanded the table. We read in the Jesus Storybook Bible earlier that God was preparing a great rescue Humanity would be freed from sin, yes, but in particular, sin as expressed in division and hatred and fear and small and insular living, looking out for oneself over others. And while Jesus' reconciling work on the cross was completed in one sense, it very much continues through God's people today. As we live in a world forgiven, yes, but still suffering from the same broken systems and relationships. Setting the table is about inviting and preparing. And the tables are everywhere. It's the seat on the bus. It's the conference room at work. It's the park. It's our literal neighbors. When we're in traffic, the comment section of our social media, there's a table. The line at a store on Black Friday. For, some, uh, for one reason or another, there are many among us who don't really have a table to call their own. Life is full of tables, tables filled with beautiful and messy people, each made in the image of God, but often unaware of how much we share in common or even of their own worth. To be clear, the table is our lives together. There are these mundane and holy spaces where we find ourselves in daily, where we have a choice. We can mar the image of God in one another. We can dismiss the image of God in one another, or we can miss it all together. Or we have the opportunity to honor the image of God in others and invite them to the tables, to use their gifts and their resources to get skin in the game and not only eat the meal, but also to host it and to prepare it. Jesus pulls people out of the bleachers and puts them in the game. It's not always how we'd think. I don't know if you saw this last week. There'll be some, some slides on the screen as we go through this. This is a great example of a big table. So on November 15th, recently, 17-year-old Jamal Hinton from Chandler, Arizona, got looped into a group text. The text included two unknown numbers and an invite to Thanksgiving. Confused, Hinton asked who they were. The texter responded with, your grandma. Now Hinton, still slightly bewildered and thinking it possibly could be his actual grandma, asked the texter, to take a selfie and send it to him. The texter was definitely not his grandma. 
We'll roll through these. <laughs> you not my grandma. But this is the best part. Can I still get a plate though? That's a big table. Of course she says, that's what grandmas do. And she's got the little pie in there. She's like grandma does selfies. She's texting. She's got the little pie emoji. She's with it. The point is beautiful things can happen when we respond to what God puts in front of us and we expand the table. So Jesus invites us to set the table by inviting and preparing. And next we're invited to have a seat. This is the moment where the rubber meets the road. This is that moment you might be dreading as you think about sitting down with your family. What if someone brings up the election or the, any of the thousand other things that tend to divide us? And I'll just quick pause. If, if this is your family, I would encourage you uh, to put away the china, put away the, the crystal, the fancy glasses. And here at the church, we use like the the kind of uh, compostable products, so like the little spoon, it's like compostable, I think it's like gluten-free, vegan, there's no nitrates in it. And when it hits the gravy, it literally just kind of melts, <laughs> but it's safer. And so it's no problem, safety first. Your worst fears about what could happen at your family table may actually come true, but this is the work that we're invited to. And sitting down, we face each other, we're on a level playing field and we're offered relationship. This is challenging work, even awkward work. In our text for tonight, Jesus sits down and does two remarkable things. First, he serves and then he stays. Luke 22 tells us that as the disciples sat, a discussion uh, broke out among them, an argument around which of them was the greatest. The context was the stinky feet. Uh, and they, they're kind of playing this first century version of not it. Their, their thing was, well, if I'm the greatest, I'm not the least. And the least and the lowliest washes the feet. So if the greatest, don't wash the feet. And Jesus, in a beautiful display of kingdom ethics, prepares a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet. I am among you as a servant, he says. The washing of feet, just the taste of the road, he would soon walk toward the cross. He solves an argument by serving. And he says this from John 13. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So Jesus serves. What would it like for us? What would it be like for each of you uh, to serve through the arguments at your tables in life? As the story continues, Jesus knows that one of his own, Judas, had been plotting against him. And instead of leaving for fear of what was to come, he stays. And he invites Judas to continue that which he has already decided in his heart that he's going to do. Times got tough, Judas ran, he took a payout. And Jesus, fully aware of what was about to happen, stayed. This was the night of Jesus' betrayal. He had every right to withdraw. 
but he stayed because the work God called him to wasn't finished yet. God was preparing a great rescue through Jesus, so Jesus dug a little deeper on behalf of all of us. He didn't choose that table, but he was obedient to it. I've had a seat at many tables that I didn't choose, tables that represented interruption or disruption in my life, but also tables that used for my growth or for the growth of another. So Jesus set the table, which included some inviting and some preparing. He had a seat, which included serving and then staying. And finally, he gave thanks, which included breaking and sharing. The disciples didn't know it, but they were gonna be a part of two meals that night. The Passover meal, yes, and then this new meal, the Lord's Supper. After Jesus had washed the disciples' feet and Judas had slipped out into the night, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. After they had done so, he took the cup, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they each drank from it. Body broken, blood shed, shared for all. Christ's life is meant to be shared. Jesus put skin in the game on our behalf and has invited us to do the same. Wonder, has anyone here been to Israel? Show hands. So you may have seen this, but I've heard about it. There's this unique sort of geographical, geological thing. I'm not gonna split hairs about which that is. Uh, I studied theology. Uh, (laughs) That illustrates this sharing of what Jesus has called us to. So in Israel, there are two seas. I personally call them lakes, uh, but they've been calling them seas for a long time, so we'll, we'll give it to them. Uh, the Sea of Galilee, not a huge lake. It's a, it's a sort of desert oasis. It's said to be home to 27 different species of fish, many of which are only found there, found nowhere else in the world. There are migratory birds that come and visit lush hillsides with vegetation. It's literally teeming with life. And then there's the Dead Sea. It's about four times larger than the Sea of Galilee, but sustains no life within it. It's toxic and bitter. And both of these seas are fed by the Jordan River, and they're separated by only about 60 miles. So how could two bodies of water fed by the same source be so different? The answer is that only one of them flows out. The Sea of Galilee is fed by the Jordan from the north and water flows through it and out to the south, literally giving life to everything in its path. The Dead Sea, on the other hand, is one of the lowest places on the planet and there's nowhere for the water to go. Even the tributaries and streams that shoot off from it eventually just feed right back into it. Do you see the difference there? The Dead Sea has an outflow problem. I don't know if any of you have ever had an outflow problem. It's seven times saltier than the average ocean. It has so many minerals, which are normally a good thing, but there is such a thing as too much of a good thing. It's become toxic and bitter and unable to sustain life. So the question for us is, how's our outflow? The blessing was not just meant to flow to us, but was meant to flow through us.
I'm just gonna let Prentice tweet that real quick. He's always looking for the, the lines. But it's true, right? We're invited to be a pipeline or a conduit and too often fear leads us to be a plug. Sometimes we live out of a place of scarcity as if we're gonna run out. Jesus doesn't come in eight ounce bottles of water. Who buys these things? We see Richard like work the water in late when he's thirsty into the sermon illustration, so I'm just gonna do that. <laughs> Jesus is not an eight ounce bottle of water. He's a river, amen? So like Jesus, we must give thanks and then share. Thankfulness is the antidote to small and insular lives. If we can begin to see what God has given us as a gift to be shared, if we can begin to see the image of God and those we share tables with, we can join Jesus in this great rescue mission and help create big and beautiful and life-giving tables. There's no tables for one in the kingdom of God. There's no single serving Jesus. It's Costco size, right? It's a 32-pack. The five-gallon like jar, it's not really that big, but you know, the big jar of mayonnaise, who needs that? Jesus does. Because he's coming to your house, our house, and he's cooking for everybody. Amen? So for those of us who have given much, who have been given much, who have the capacity to expand our tables and dig a little deeper, let this be a challenge to express our gratitude to God by inviting others in. And for those of us who for too long have been a table for one, by choice, or despite our best efforts at community. Let this be hope. In a moment, the band will come back and Richard will lead us in communion, sharing this meal together. Let us come to this table with the prayer that more tables would be like this table. The table is set. Each of us have a seat. Let us give thanks and share. There's plenty to go around. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your life, your life that you've given us, your life that flows through us. We thank you for this image of tables. We thank you that many are invited, that all are invited. Uh, we thank you that you see us as perfect and clean and pure. You've washed us uh, with this river. And so tonight, uh, we recommit our lives to you. We give... Uh, these spaces that you call us to, to you, would this table inspire us? Would it be strength and satisfaction uh, for all people? Jesus, we love you. In your name, amen.